The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. I'm Thomas Salerno, and joining me today on the panel are Mike Schramm. Hello, Mike. Hey, Thomas. How's it going? Great. And Jeff Hecker. Hello there, Jeff. Hey, Thomas. And remember, everyone, be sure to follow The Secrets of Middle-Earth. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast directory or app of your choice. And you can also find us on social media, where we are on Facebook.com slash Media. And on Twitter slash X slash whatever, where we are at SQPN or on Instagram, where we are at StarQuest Network. And don't forget that you can snag your own official Secrets of Middle Earth merch, including our awesome T-shirt at SQPN.com slash merch. It's a great way to support the show and to show your love for Tolkien and his wonderful realm of Middle Earth. Uh, so I think, but before we get started, we had a couple of interesting tidbits of news. Um, the listeners have probably heard already, but if not, uh, the War of Rohirrim, the War of the Rohirrim anime film got delayed until December of next Boo. year. Boo. <laughs> which, threw, which threw all my plans for next year's schedule into limbo again but that's okay um, it's just it's an opportunity to be creative thomas i think is what it's it's creative solutions finding creative yeah, solutions exactly yeah and so it it is delayed obviously as a consequence of the writers and actors strike that is going on because um i think it was the the domino effect started because dune part two got delayed yeah. and mm. then it shoved all a bunch of films into different delays and so, yeah, what it was originally going to be in April, we'd get War of the Rohirrim, but now it's December. I mean, which is OK, because I'm, I'm sure the wait will be worth it because I just hope we get a trailer soon. Actually. Yeah, I'd, hopefully maybe this year, maybe, maybe we can get like a year, a year out trailer type like thing, a teaser but, or something. Just yeah. it's anything. It'd be, it'd be great. Come on, guys. <laughs> Rings of Power season two. even. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Oh, that's okay. Yeah. I can wait. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, and we, Jeff and I were talking about that before we started recording. Like, I wonder if they have enough done in post to even put together a a teaser for Rings of Power early next year. I'm, I don't even know. Yeah, maybe <laughs> the maybe the Super Bowl again. They we'll, have enough we'll in the up. deleted scenes of the Peter Jackson trilogy to put together a <laughs> Rings of Power season. Two. There is enough. <laughs> there is enough content out there. We don't even. We've only scratched the surface. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, the, the other thing, the other thing I wanted to mention is that one of our SQPN collaborators, uh, Alex Murray, she was able to attend a 50th anniversary memorial slash celebration for Tolkien. Uh, that was in in Oxford, I believe, in in Oxford, England. And we're we're hoping to eventually get Alex on the show so that she can talk about what she saw there and some of the interesting talks. And things because it sounds like it was really, really fascinating. Some of the uh, the priests at the uh, the the oratory mm. that Tolkien was associated with were able to, you know, share their thoughts about Tolkien. And it sounds like it was really interesting. 
So and uh, Lacrosse's own uh, Holly Ordway, I think, spoke at that too, right? Oh, was she there? I thought I yeah. I mean, I I thought that was the case, but maybe I'd have to go back and check now. She might have been there, yeah. And and that that's another thing. Uh, Holly Ordway's new book, Tolkien and Faith, is got to use those uh, word of fire connections, Thomas. Yeah, well, no, yeah, that that would be really great, actually, if we could speak to her. But I I have to plow through the book first. I I have it and I started reading it and I'm hoping to finish it soon because then, you know, it it would make a really awesome discussion. We've done an episode on Tolkien's faith before, but I think it's Mm. a well that we need to revisit, especially with all of Dr. Ordway's new scholarship on it, because there was things about Mm. his faith just from skimming through the book and looking at some of the images and stuff that I didn't even know before. Mm. So yeah, stay tuned guys. Next year is, is going to be an aw- I think 2024 is going to be an awesome year for this podcast, whether we get rings of power or not, we've got <laughs> a lot of cool things lined up. But as, as for tonight's discussion, I decided that we were going to do something cool. So this, this episode should theoretically release in November and it in November is Thanksgiving and you know one of the traditional things of Thanksgiving is family feuds at the table <laughs> and that made me think of the kind of frenemy slash feud relationship between Tolkien's elves and Tolkien's dwarves and it's actually a really fascinating history and I, I thought we'd go over it today and i I, what i want to do first is we'll we'll talk a bit about elves and dwarves in general then we'll kind of do like a bird's eye view look at the silmarillion stuff because there's actually so much in the silmarillion Mm. but i think a lot of it is actually just kind of useful context for what we see in what people are probably going to be most familiar with the lord of the rings and the hobbit And we'll probably focus mostly on those and then the adaptations. But as for elves and dwarves themselves, like they're often associated with Tolkien now because Tolkien's elves and dwarves have influenced every fantasy thing ever since from Dungeons and Dragons to like any fantasy novel that you just pick up off the shelf. But he didn't invent them. They're like rooted in mythology and legend do do either of you like have either of you read some of the pre-christian legends that include these types of characters because i i honestly must admit i that's an area that i'm not as familiar with as i'd like yeah i know similarly i mean you know it's one of those things where they all just kind of get lumped into one big sort of category you know we we were you were talking before we started recording of like the the keebler elves and how yeah that's sort of like resembles a lot of the way like that looks almost like what you would think of when you think of like Tolkien's you know dwarves or or even when you start getting into like the troll territory and I'm thinking even of those like uh have you ever seen those kind of like tchotchke like Norwegian troll sorts of things too not the troll dolls right no, You're not, not the, talking like, about not the... like the not like the Saturday morning like cartoons oh like. okay this is like uh yeah I don't know it's it's it it is part of a like north norwegian like mythology they have these like you know just they have myth myths about trolls and stuff um and it kind of reminds me of you know if you look at those now the the troll dolls that you're talking about they maybe have some resemblance but no i don't think there's a you know they might have a, a sort of common origin but doesn't it seem like you know it's almost like they're coming from 
a sort of common point and then they start to kind of diverge whether it's you know maybe it's before Tolkien maybe it's because of Tolkien but yeah and I'm I'm not as I'm no I'm just would know just very surface level I'm not super familiar either but um one thing to that I always think of with elves is um so I'm also a Stargate fan and there's an episode of Stargate where the are the heroes who are humans from earth are greeted as elves by a people who are like like a Norse planet type of people and they call them elves. So it always kind of makes me think of like they're cause I think they were considered like messengers from the gods. So almost like angelic mm-hmm. in Norse mythology. And they were also, I think they also, I mean, they're very different from, you know um, like what Tolkien has in a lot of ways, like they're kind of almost like tricksters as well. And just kind of like, you never know their true intentions. And I think that's common with like fairy, you know, fairy tale literature, which Tolkien was intimately familiar with, where the elves are kind of like, and and I'm not super familiar with like modern urban fantasy, but there's a lot of in ur- urban fantasy, there's a lot of like the the fae people who are kind of like the elves who, yeah, um, like they have their own kind of rituals and and they're not really they they can be allies of people, but they're not really friends of them, and they you know they kind of use them sometimes and well yeah i mean and i think it it goes back to that idea of like there the lines that distinguished one from another for a lot of these kind of um you know for lack of a better word like monsters right they weren't as clear cut they weren't as they're definitely not as clear cut as they were in in the tolkien stories right that's where a lot of those demar- that demarcation starts to happen but yeah you're even thinking of um you know, and, and this is, I know I'm bringing in a sort of modern example too, but it's definitely hearkening back to some of this. Um, but when you think of the dark elves in the MCU, uh, but then also going back to Norse mythology, where, you know, that's not what you would think of as like a Tolkien elf, right? Even though maybe in the more modern adaptation of the MCU, maybe there's like a little bit of the resemblance, what, because they're taller or something, I don't know. But they're also, they're like, giants or that's the you know like i said it kind of conflates a lot of these things yeah definitely and that's something i've noticed like from the little bit of norse mythology that i have experienced is that there doesn't seem to yeah be this clear-cut distinction between elves and dwarves to the point where like you even have like them coming from the same realm you know you have like the, the nine realms of Norse mm. mythology. And I think like the one that dwarves, that dwarves come from is the, is Fardalfheim, the, the realm of the dark elves. So yeah, it's like this, this modern distinction wasn't there, but now we can't help but make it because mm. of, of Tolkien is as sort of, you know, his version of elves and dwarves are kind of like, except for, in in other subgenres like urban fantasy that have their own rules but still like in epic high fantasy tolkien's kind of mold is kind of accepted as canon now almost well even just having like elves that are tall because i don't know if you know and I'd, i'd have to go back and double check for this specific detail but even the elves in the hobbit book are they tall? Whereas, you know, you start seeing the, the, even the older artwork for the Lord of the Rings, but then obviously definitely in the movies, the Peter Jackson movies where the elves are, are the very tall ones. And, and of course the dwarves are kind of the shorter ones, but I don't, I think that's even a, um, you know, relatively modern adapt, adaptation too. Yeah, I agree. Cause like the, the distinction between elves and fairies is, is not something that, I think in, in older literature, people would have made 
you know, yeah, I that, think they were kind of the same thing. They were like, they occupied kind of that same role in, in kind of that, you know, pre Tolkienian fairy tale. Kind I of remember story. Tolkien complaining that it was in the 19th century that writers decided, oh, well, fairies are tiny. And so mm. then elves kind of also became diminutive mm. creatures. So, yeah, it's very interesting. I have uh, here in the, the outline that now, you know, we have this kind of because there's now such a clear cut distinction, elves kind of represent the ethereal and the mystical and dwarves are kind of more earthy and, you know, literally down to earth and substantial. You know, what, what do you guys make of that kind of symbolism? Yeah. And I mean, that's that's especially the case with like the Tolkien representations, right? I mean, not even in terms of their appearance, but even in their, their interests, right? I mean, it's always the elves who, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably just paraphrasing or misquoting, but when they talk about how like, you know, these sorts of ideas are only fit for the elves because the elves are the ones who make songs or write, po you know, like the, these types of songs or this type of poetry. And so even the, the interests of the two different groups, you have this sort of like, you know, high abstract ivory tower almost. And then the very grimy, earthy, which again, that's where the dwarves literally came from. If you're going from the Silmarillion and the whole Tolkien, um, you know, background. Right. Yeah. And I think even like. Uh, Mike, was this you who put this in the, the notes that the ring of power kind of like itself, the rings of power is kind of like a synthesis of the two races. Well, yeah, I mean, and it was one of those things that it wasn't until I kind of started looking at this outline and thinking about that a little bit more. But, you know, you have to have both of them. And, you know, not only obviously, I mean, all the peoples of Middle Earth or, you know, the, the elves, the dwarves and the men get the rings. But it's when you have the almost like the form and the matter coming together. Right. If you think of like the elves representative of the, of the form and then the dwarves representative of the matter. And it's like within that ring, you get both of them. And it's it has this sort of symbolic perfection where it's it's the circle, you know, but it also, as we talked about in the one ring episode, it is binding too. Jeff, did you have any thoughts on uh, on this line? No, the unfortunately, the only thought that came to mind was the the elf dwarf romance from The Hobbit of if they if they were to get oh. married and <laughs> their kid oh, would kind we'll of be get the, there <laughs> <laughs> might be that kind of a, that form in that matter <laughs> kind of coming coming together to make it make a some kind of it's like a sunny and share sort of you know yeah. Sunny, <laughs> <laughs> so that was unfortunately that. Mike said all that great stuff. And then that's the only thing that came to mind was, was, was that, uh, that relationship. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, I just, just to kind of agree with y'all the, yeah, I mean the, the, it's very like, it's all, it's like with a lot of things in Tolkien is they're better together. They, when they're, when kind of the rate and, and that goes for all the races, but kind of the, when the elves and the dwarves are kind of, are, are not kind of united or allied, things tend to go go poorly for for both of them because they're you know you're divide your forces you're you're divided um and then you know the enemy whether it's morgoth or sauron or whomever can come in and and pick everybody apart more easily it's when they're more you know when they're united that they're that they're strong and if we're going to take the rings of power season one as canon then <laughs> okay i'm going to let that sit for a second okay now if we're going to take it as canon, though, then wasn't it's its a, own multiverse. Yeah, yeah it's its own. It's the it's the 
Middle Earth 2 of Don't of get the me started on multiverses, multiverse. but, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, isn't that, you know, the forging of, of the rings, wasn't that a um, collaboration between elves and dwarves as well? And so yeah, you they, can even see in the, in the construction, not only in the idea of it, you know, almost like the philosophy of a ring of power, but now in the actual practice of forging these rings of power, you've got this synthesis between, you know, the elves and the dwarves. And Sauron, but, you know, well, that's a. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think Sauron saw the strengths of the two races and manipulated both of them mm. into contributing their skills to the forging of the rings of power. And, yeah, I really think that this this kind of. You know, odd couple relationship almost between elves and dwarves is is there from the very beginning. And there's a lot of there is a lot of backstory to like, you know, the, these types of characters, because because not now because of the popularity of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, it's taken for granted again in every fantasy thing from D&D to whatever you want to name. It's taken for granted that dwarves and elves are rivals. Mm. And it's like, but but why should that be? And the only reason they are in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit is because Tolkien had in mind all this backstory that he had created for the Silmarillion, but hadn't yeah. been able to be published yet. You know, and that's that's why and I think. Then, no, I yeah, go say, ahead, yeah. Jeff. And and the grand plan was for them all to come together in in the War of the Ring, and something we you know we don't hear about much in, in the books, but there was a whole there was a whole part of the War of the Ring that wasn't on in the pages or or wasn't really discussed much even on the pages or on screen it was like there were i believe because weren't the the lonely dwarves of erebor they were fighting off on their uh you know in their own kind of corner and presumably they were the wood elves of Mirkwood were fighting so you know with the with the ally with the kind of the alliances that were made you can almost kind of think that they came together you know they came together there not only we kind of see it in micro in in a microcosm with Gimli and Legolas and the Fellowship, but then you see it in kind of a, you can kind of think about it in a bigger way that these, these bigger groups of, you know, we, we didn't see, you know, armies of dwarves and armies of elves in the Lord of the Rings in, in on, you know, on the pages or on the screen, but like you knew they were out there and there was, you know, they had to, and, you know, I like to think that at some points, you know, all three armies kind of teamed up to kind of drive the last of the, the works away. So and that's the thing, too, what kind of what I was getting at is that Middle Earth is such a rich kind of breathing, living world. It's so large. Not one like like you were hinting at, Jeff, with, with space. You know, it's such a big you know, it, it's a planet like ours. There's all these kind of things going off in. You, you're saying you know, more than you realize, Thomas. It is a lot like ours. Yeah, it's not just like ours. It's It is ours. It's not supposed to be a secondary world. It's supposed to be our world in the past. But, you know, like it's. There's stuff going on in other areas of Middle Earth that are not on the pages of the Lord of the Rings simply because it's not those stories are not focused on our characters because Amazon hasn't bought that property yet is what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) But also in time, you know, Middle Earth Mm. had a history, you know, the Silmarillion was only published in the 1970s. But before that, you had all this, you know, you had the appendices, but you had all these hints of this deeper richer history that was going on that that is only hinted at in the pages of the lord of the rings but tolkien knew about it 
And he's mm. using that to inform the way the elf and dwarf characters relate to each other. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of these two races, because in the Silmarillion, it's explained that elves and men are called the children of Iluvatar. So they are directly created by Eru Iluvatar, the god figure in Tolkien's Legendarium. And elves are his elder children and men are considered the younger children. Dwarves are actually fashioned by one of the Valar, who are the angelic figures that we talked about in a previous episode. It's Aule mm. the Smith because he becomes impatient in waiting for the children of Iluvatar to awaken, to be born. He creates his best efforts at the children of Iluvatar, who become these dwarves that Iluvatar grants souls. He grants them life. But he tells Aule, the elves and men are the children of my choice, but the dwarves are the children of my adoption. So it's interesting that for, for elves and men and dwarves. Yeah. So like. You know, there's this kind of sibling relationship between elves and dwarves where there's some tension there where the elves are the le- kind of the legitimate children. It's probably why the dwarves the... always have a chip on their shoulder, too. I mean, could be. Well, yeah, it, it also is kind of represented by because 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 Ale and Yavanna are they're married, aren't they? Yes. So mm-hmm. Ale, so, you know, so Ale's the smith, Yavanna's the kind of the nature, um, you know of the you know demigod of the of middle of arda so it's like you know ale creates you know he probably goes against yavana in creating them because yavana was you know probably wanting to just have the elves and and the men eventually of to kind of live in communal living live in community with with nature but then here comes ale making things that are gonna (laughs) kill a lot of nature in their in their their forging and their and and whatnot so there's it's almost like they're you know their their creator also or their sub creator i guess was um you know he's he's working out his own issues i guess with <laughs> maybe with with yavana and and we're going to see that as kind of and you know we see that in the in in the the millennia after where the dwarves and the elves are not always friends you know thomas when you first had me on um or for my first episode you asked me like what's my one of my favorite tolkien stories or or kind of connections and i said the the creation story just because of how beautiful it is and how resonant it is with the the biblical creation story and all but this the actually the creation of the dwarves was a close second because i've always found it to be so touching not just that you you kind of get this like almost like very simple um motivation from Aule and wanting to imitate uh, Iluvatar and wanting to it's 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 again it, it's very resonant of like the kid wanting to do what dad does for a living is what it kind of you know at least strikes me as and the the Iluvatar like recognizing that it sort of fell short that it was maybe not the most prudent thing like you said it was a lack of patience but seeing that the heart his heart was there and granting him this this desire and so like i said this the the creation of the dwarves was very much a close second because of like it it just kind of resonates with me i mean not only as a um biological father myself but just when we talk about this the whole christian connection and seeing our sort of efforts that we put forward or place in front of of god too is you you kind of see a sort of parallel there oh, i totally agree like uh, it's it's probably my favorite story in the Silmarillion 
because mm. as, as as a writer, as a creative person, I identify a lot with Aule. And I that that part where he he says to Iluvatar, look, if if you say so, I'll destroy the dwarves. You know, I will you know, if if it's if it's your will that I not have these things, then, you know, I, I agree to put them at at your feet that that always touches me for some reason that he's mm. he's willing, you know, he's willing to subordinate his will to Iluvatar's unlike say Morgoth or Sauron mm. who, you know, yeah. quote unquote create stuff like they warp stuff like the, the orcs and, and things. And they're completely going against the will of Iluvatar and everything they do. And arguably they would have had like more skill and would have created something, you know, objectively better, but it was because of that, you know, that sense of motivation, or like you said, the, um, subjecting our own will to, you know, the will of this middle earth God that that's where that's, that's where it kind of shines forth. You have to think that it's Tolkien, like that's Tolkien talking to us as the author there. Like that's him. Yes. You know, for sure. Saying this is, you know, this is I'm always in this situation <laughs> sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And, and like I said, as 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 a writer myself, it really resonates with me that that is like, you know, you're offering this thing that you have made. And it's like, you know, I always like to compare it to and I, I, I don't have kids, but I, you know, the 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 thing of of, of the kid bringing the, their art project that they've done mm. to their parents and being like and the parent puts it on the fridge. Because that's what a good parent does, you know, mm. the parent doesn't say, oh, this is terrible. Take it away. You know, like mm. <laughs> it's like it it just shows the fatherly love and compassion that the Luvatar has, you know, for his creations. And to keep the I mean, to keep the metaphor, that's what gives life to that, you know, un, unskilled, seemingly insignificant drawing or, or painting or whatever is the the attention the affection that you know and the relation between the parent and the child too absolutely and i i think that is is an interesting point because both both the elves and the dwarves kind of carry on this tradition because they are makers they are sub creators both of them delight in making things and crafting objects you know specifically the the noldor elves who were students of aule and in the Silmarillion, they are often friendlier to dwarves than other elves. So that's in, in and they have a real stormy relationship throughout the Silmarillion. In fact, their their first meeting it does not go very well. The elves don't even recognize the first dwarves they meet as sapient mm. beings. Mm. They they consider them to be animals when they first meet them because the first dwarves that they meet savages almost that sounds savages. like another parallel yeah another parallel yeah. to uh humanity a little bit unfortunately absolutely but, yeah yeah the first dwarves they meet are the petty dwarves who are exiles from the seven dwarven clans and the you know they're, they're nomads they live out in the wild and when elves first encounter them they're like oh look two-legged animals you know and they, they murder dwarves because they, they they don't know any better and then later they meet the dwarves of Nograd and Belagos, which were two dwarven cities of the first age. And especially they become very close with the Noldor because the Noldor being students of Aule, you know, Feanor crafted the Silmarils. They are, you know, their, their, their top skill is smithcraft. So we, we see that kind of relationship 
develop. And there's almost another incident in the Silmarillion. I don't know if do, you, do either of you guys know the uh, the story of the Nalglimir from the Silmarillion. I mean, yeah. oh, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, I was just say, yeah, I mean, and before we, I was talking to, to Thomas before we were recording, like, I always forget how deep the lore is. Like, I was just like yeah. doing a little quick research before we started. And I was like, and looking online, I was like, oh, this thing and this thing. Just like, I, I was like, if I, if we were recording that, I would have gone down a rabbit hole reading about all this lore. And I've read the Silmarillion, but it's been, I'm probably due for a reread. But yeah, then the Naglamir was the, it was like the necklace that, the Silmaril that Baron got back from Morgoth. Uh, that that was like the setting that they were gonna that uh, Thingol wanted to put it in, uh, and he wanted the dwarves to kind of craft that for him. Is is that right? Yeah, it, it's another object that is a synthesis of their two races, mm. but in this case, it represents conflict because it is the cause of probably the biggest grievance that elves and dwarves have with one another because the dwarves become so jealous of the Nalglamir that they, they want it for themselves that they murder Thingol and sack mm. Doriath and steal the Nalglamir. And apparently that mm. is like the, that, that is the main reason that like elves will point to and say, see, you know, like that, that, that is the main grievance that, echoes down the centuries into the lord of the rings a dwarf being willing yeah. to go to war over a jewel i can't even it's like gosh <laughs> what, how would that how does that resonate does, like you know at all where where could that you know what other like where could where could we see that again right yeah it, 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 it's almost like the, the elves are a little bit not very self-aware because they went to war over the silmarils being seized by morgoth so it it it's like it's not like they're. Oh, I was actually jumping to Thorin, but yeah, no, that's oh, that's what I was thinking too. Okay, yeah, for sure. but yeah, yeah, it, it's no, definitely. I think Tolkien had that in mind that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme, mm-hmm. and there are you know echoes in the Third Age of this same conflict. You know, like yeah, like between Thorin and Thoranduil, who both want the Arkenstone. That's well, it's like point. the it's like the fatal flaw of the dwarves is they they that they kind of they they have that covetousness toward you know toward cra- things that are crafted or things that are you know of the earth. Whereas like men kind of want the fatal flaw of the men in, in Tolkien is like they want power for themselves, whatever that form that takes. Is they it seems like you know the the men who fall they want they want to take something like you know thinking of Boromir wanting to take the ring to get power and so the dwarves it's almost like they just they just want to covet you know something and the bells right. I, I don't know if they have a fatal flaw necessarily um you, they're, you know you were listening through them and i was thinking in my head you know saint thomas aquinas has the classic four temptations of wealth power pleasure honor and i was like okay if the dwarves is wealth and the men is power and the um the elves hobbits are honor, pleasure hobbits are pleasure it's like that's you've got <laughs> hey, them right there yeah that, that's another there's you know You've got our uh, our next episode right there, but uh, <laughs> it's like, isn't that you know? And and Tolkien would have at least somewhat appreciated his uh, Thomas Aquinas for sure. But um, there, it's almost like you've got it all covered. You know, if if they're all supposed to be some sort of like analog for humanity in some various respect, I mean, you've got them right there, each of them. 
Yeah, that's true that each of these races of Middle Earth represent an aspect of fallen humanity, you know, and they're they're like a mirror held up to us. You mm-hmm. know, the hobbits represent one side of us and the, the dwarves, you know, maybe greed and covetousness a little bit. You know, it's like, yeah, I. I Oh, that's so that, now I can't stop thinking about the Thomas Aquinas analogy. <laughs> that is that is very cool. That's a uh, there's your next that. blog post for us, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I should do some research on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to beat you to it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's your idea. You should... Yeah. I was, you know, I, I got me thinking because like in, in some ways the it almost like gives the dwarves a bad rap when we talk about how obsessed they, they seem to be with, with gold and jewels and the things of the earth as if like, it's almost like there's this materialism to the dwarves when I'm almost thinking like you were kind of talking about their origins before where it's almost like they have this chip on their shoulder of their older brother, the elves and how they want to be like, like the elves and the, the elves are the, you know, very ethereal, like their, their beauty is shown primarily through song and poetry and so what if, you know, the, the dwarves are seeking after this same beauty because they could just pull the rocks out of the earth, but what do they do? They, they polish them, they make them beautiful. They're seeking after this, you know, the concept of beauty itself, but they're doing it through these, the, the what they know best, right? That's where they came from. And so, you know, not to like, it's almost like, oh yeah, they, they're too obsessed with worldly things or the things of middle earth, but they're still seeking after that same beauty. It's just through the way that they've been kind of made to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. They're all kind of, all the, the races are oriented towards beauty in a way, right? Like, and for, for the hobbits, it's like the simple life and like, you know, flowers, you know, a lot of hobbits seem to like, flowers. they, they name most of their girl children after flowers. You know, they, they love gardens, you know, they're, 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 they're also very in tune with the earth, but not in kind of the same way dwarves are. Hobbits almost have a kind of the, well, the in soil tune like, of the earth. Yeah, they're, they're in tune with like the growing things of earth, whereas the dwarves are, or I should say the living things, whereas the dwarves are in tune with the, with the, with like the, the actual element of earth. Yeah. Like there's would be more like the, the good of, you know, if you want to say um, hospitality or charity or whatever. And so all of the technology that hobbits have, because I think it says in the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings that they have technology. It's just very simple and they like pretty things, but only to the degree that, or they like, you know, like we said, pleasurable things like good food, but to the degree that it brings people together. And so there again, you've got that. I mean, since we were just talking about, you know, the temptations that they have, well, here's the, you know, here's the opposite virtue that they, you know, by their kind of nature are sort of drawn to. Yeah. And we know that, you know, you, you were saying before, Mike, about how like they, they, they have this love of beautiful things, the, the, the dwarves do, and they'll, they'll go delving for them deep in the earth, but it's, but that, that temptation of wealth can be their undoing, especially as we saw with the, the, the dwarves of Casa Doom and what I think they're moving towards in the Rings of Power, obviously, with the Mithril subplot, which is, a, which is adapted from the appendices in a way. You know, the dwarves mm. did, as we know, delve too greedily and, through, and too deep and unleash the Balrog. And it's, it, it, it's very interesting. Is, is, is Tolkien making like some sort of deeper statement there about greed because like their their quest for 
this mithril, this 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 substance beyond price literally unleashes a demon upon them. I don't you think it's what? I don't think it's 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 very on the surface that that's what that's kind of the point of what he's talking about that. Mm. That See, that's where he was going all that, so. he was going all saint john of the cross with it instead of like the the wine cellar of our heart now it's the the casa doom of our heart and what's there at the bottom it's either god or the belrog right so that's the uh you know there there's your little uh i guess another doctor of the church for you too yeah and, and i was just thinking too about dwarves they're not too dissimilar when when dwarves go bad they're not too dissimilar from dragons are they mm. You know, I mean, they can literally catch dragon sickness where they like Thorin, where they start hoarding their gold and 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 will kill people in order to keep it or take it. Mm. You know, so it's almost like dragons can represent the shadow side, as like Carl Jung might say of the, mm. the dwarves there. And there was there's even in the appendices, I think there's a mention of that there was a, a war between the dwarves and the dragons like a full-scale yeah. war with armies at one point like that that would be interesting where's that amazon come on yeah i think well i think in an, i think in prior episodes we talked about like for other you know adaptations or other like spin-offs or whatever um you know something about the war of the dragon dwarves and dragons would be a, would be a cool one um and you were saying too jeff about how they're better together that they they definitely make almost perfect allies when they fight together because they fought in so many wars together in, in the first age um, and even against dragons in, in the first age in one of the, uh, the battles of Beleriand, I think it's the battle of unnumbered tears, the dwarves of, I believe it's the city of Belagost fight the first dragon Glaurung and their King Azagal actually gets crushed beneath the dragon as he stabs at it with like a famous knife or something like that. It's just like that. And it, there, there's like a through line all the way from that to like the war of the last Alliance and the second age where the dwarves of Casa doom aided the elves, or even when, when Sauron comes to seize the rings of power from the, the Smiths of Aregion, the, the dwarves help them. So the dwarves mm. help the elves rather. So when, when they fight in war together, they're almost unbeatable. But as, uh, as I believe it's one of the in in the Fellowship of the Ring, one of the elves of Lothlorien says that the the greatest power of the Dark Lord is shown in the estrangement of everyone who would who should be working together to oppose him. Hmm. And you see that most obviously between elves and dwarves. And that's something that's, that's reflected in our own world. Right. I think the power of the real Dark Lord is shown in the division among the people who should be opposing him, including the left divisions among Christians. Yeah. The, yeah, for sure. But getting into the, the books that I think everyone will be most familiar with. It's interesting that in the Hobbit, we see both how dwarves and elves can cooperate and do good together and where they, they fall short because it's Elrond who helps the dwarves decipher the map of Thor. Because Elrond is is the one whose who's lore he he knows about the moon writing, which is these runes that it's basically they're they're runes written in invisible ink that can only be seen when you hold it up to the light of a moon under which was it Durin's day? The, the message think- was written. Yeah, Durin's day. Yeah, but for that particular map, it's Durin's day. 
If it, mm. if it happened to be some other day, it wouldn't work. But it was funny. It was supposed to be dwarvish lore, but it had been lost among the dwarves. But Elrond remembered it. Hmm. So it's interesting that he kind of provides that missing piece. And of course, he provides them with shelter and food and good advice for their journey. So and you have... Like- would that company have gone to Rivendell if it weren't for Gandalf too? Cause like you said, there's already this like, Oh, we don't need you, you know, sort of thing too. And so where would they have been left? I mean, ultimately where would they have been left without Gandalf anyway? But yeah. That's the, <laughs> but specifically that, you know, you just kind of think going back into the, the mindset too. It's funny. You should mention Gandalf. Cause he's like that. The origin of his name is one of the few things that I remember from Norse mythology because he has a connection to both elves and dwarves because the name Gandalf is the name of a dwarf in Norse mythology but the Mm. name itself means staff elf Hmm. so because like Gandalf you can even hear it in the name so it means elf but it's the name of a dwarf so Hmm. like we were saying before the lines between those two creatures were not very distinct in ancient times so it's interesting that Gan- the character of Gandalf has these connections to both dwarves and elves, and he has both as allies. You know, he helps all the free peoples. Mm. But of course, later in The Hobbit, you know, they meet the wood elves under Thranduil and are imprisoned, which actually mm. leads to what, what I think is one of the funniest moments in the book, which is where um, Thranduil tries to interrogate Thorin of why the dwarves are in Mirkwood and Thorin's answer to every question is because we were starving. Mm. He's like, why were you bothering my people? Because we were starving. Well, what are your friends doing right now? Probably starving in the woods. What were you doing in the woods in the first place? Starving. Like that's, (laughs) that's that's his answer to every question. But you know, Thranduil is just immediately suspicious of them. Because they're dwarves. Mm. And I, I think I remember reading this somewhere that Thranduil being a sylvan elf, he may have been present at the sack of Doriath after mm. the dwarves killed Thingol and destroyed the city. So he, there may be that kind of baggage there for why he doesn't I, trust dwarves. If that's the case, then he was probably pretty merciful. I mean, you know, all things considered. All things considered, yeah, and that, and that kind of brings us to the films, because in the movie, they make a much bigger deal in the Hobbit trilogy films of Thranduil's kind of visceral dislike mm. of dwarves. Whereas in the book, it's just like, well, you're kind of suspicious trespassers on my land. I'm going to lock you up, but I'm going to, like, feed you and take care of you and stuff and come to your aid later. But in the movies, it's more like he's almost like, almost bigoted in his kind of like mm. just hatred. Of well, in the, in the movie too, there, I, I can't remember if this is from the books, but in the, in the Hobbit movies, he, there was something that the dwarves of Erebor were supposed to like craft for him. Like they were supposed to set like some jewels into something or something or other for Thranduil, but it was lost in the, uh, when Smaug took over. And so he wanted to, um, so he was, you know, he was kind of thinking that, like I can get this, you know, he was, he was, you know, rude to the dwarves, but he was, he kind of had that ulterior motive of there's something that he wanted out of the mountain. Um, and he thought he could, you know, 
I'll, you know, I'll, I'll only let you go when it, when it's, when it suits me. Um, and, or when you agree to do what I want to do, um, before, you know, Bilbo, um, uh, rescues them. So, cause the, the elves in the, in the, uh, wine cellar were getting, getting deep in their cups, as they say. <laughs> That's so funny. That never appears anywhere else. I think in the legendarium of elves getting passed out drunk. Well, you know, isn't there the one scene in, I want to say it's the like it's extended two- edition of return of the King where, yeah. where uh, Legolas has that long drought and he's like, I feel a tingle well, in my, well, yeah, Legolas and Gimli are having a drinking competition and uh, whoever's, you know, whoever's, you know, we're not condoning, you know, drink, you know, drinking to excess, but <laughs> they, uh, uh, yeah, they have the competition and Gimli's like, whoever last, last man standing wins and, Gimli's just chugging it like, you know, like a sloppy dog is drinking out of their bowl and in Legolas is just, you know, downing his drink and and he uh yeah, and at the very end of it he says, like you said, Mike, of like I'm I feel I feel something, a tingle in my fingers, and then Gimli is like, see, I got you now, and then he keels over passed yeah. out. So So that's the closest we get, and yet we have this, you know, scene from The Hobbit where they apparently can't, you know keep track of themselves and they lose all these prisoners but well that was maybe their their elf wine is stronger than you know the, the oh, human the ale they were, Rohir- they were drinking beer yeah the rohirrim ale and that that that's something i wanted to touch on later but we might as well touch on it now and that is what do you guys think of how the elf dwarf relationship is done in the films especially because it's often played for comedy well, all the, the dwarves, the dwarves became or Gimli became kind of comic relief, which was always one of those things that was kind of an adjustment when you read the um, read the books, you know, especially if in, in my case, I I had seen the Jackson movies first uh, before I had read the books. But so that's something you kind of have to adjust to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I as I've said, I'm I definitely have seen the films more than I've read Lord of the Rings and uh yeah, I, I love Gimli in the in the films. Just great, just a lot of good. But he's also it's like it's he's comic relief, and kind of like Pippin's comic relief in a lot of ways. But Gimli's also like he's he's going to be the one you want to you know he's gonna he's gonna be with you the whole time, and he's like he's a competent. He's not like the bumbling comic relief that's just kind of there but doesn't do anything. Like Gimli's, you know, holding his own uh, along with with Legolas, and they're you know, trading insults and he wins the competition, doesn't he? Of uh, orcs when they're keeping count or, <laughs> or no, I don't know. Well, Gimli. Yeah. Well, I, I, at least in, in two towers, Gimli's, he says he won cause he's sitting on top of an orc and there's one that's twitching and Legolas shoots. And he's like, he said, that's, you know, I've got more Legolas says I've got more. And Gimli says he's twitching cause my ax was buried in his nervous system. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the book, Gimli definitely wins. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He wins by one. But in, in the movie, they, they wanted that extra gag of like, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and plus, it, it, it was set up for the gag later in Return of the King when Legolas destroys the Oliphant and everybody yeah. on it. And Gimli's like, that still only counts as one. Yeah. You know, it's like I like their friendly rivalry, you know, because like it starts out with them kind of just like getting on each other's nerves, but it slowly kind of grows into like, you know, this kind of almost sibling again with elves and dwarves, a sibling, this kind of bickering sibling rivalry, which I always thought is so charming. It's great. 
Yeah. And you kind of see that as they're going into, you know, in the films and when they're going into, in, into, um, La Flore and, you know, there, cause before that, from what I remember, you don't really see a lot of Legolas Gimli, like interaction. Um, they're kind of just, they're, they're together on the quest, but that you don't really see like that personal interaction. And you first kind of start seeing that interaction when they're leaving La Florian in the boats and Legolas is in the boat with Gimli. And they start talking about what was, uh, you know, Gimli's like in, in love with Galadriel at that point. Uh, <laughs> and so he's, you know, or like loves her in, you know, that kind of courtly, you know, I love the Virgin Mary kind of way. Um, you know, and he's like, what did you, what did she give you? And Gimli says, I just asked for a hair of her golden head and she gave me three, um, which I know we've talked about before, but that was something to go back to like, cause didn't Feanor want, one of Galadriel's hairs and she wouldn't give it to him. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you see that kind of like Galadriel is like more softened to a dwarf than, than one of her, one of her kids. Eventually she's getting like weirded out by all these requests. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm if a serious. More, if one more middle earth and being asked me for my hair. Like, <laughs> I think on a serious level, it represents pride versus humility because there's almost nobody in middle earth who is more prideful than Feanor. I mean, besides like obviously the dark lords, but in terms of like, you know, elves and men, Feanor is is at the top of the list of mm. prideful people, and Gimli asks in all humility. In fact, he he doesn't want to ask. Yeah, he's first. like stumbling over his words and like he can't he can't get out the word like from cuz what you actually see of that scene because Gimli's telling Legolas what happened. Uh, they're kind of intercutting and Legolas is like stammering through. And then you don't actually see Legolas ask Galadriel for the, for the hair. Um, you see that when he, it's like, he tells her after the fact that he, that she, that he asked and she gave it to him. And then that's like the greatest treasure of his, his whole life. Uh, you know, even after the, the war of the ring is, it's like, I mean, you know, I like, I, I don't know. I can't if they say anything, but I kind of like to think that's like, that's like his Arkenstone or his, you know, whatever that is passed down as like a, you know, a, 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 a beloved heirloom among his, you know, descendants. And even before that moment, you know, Galadriel defends him because Celeborn's, you know, when he learns about the waking of the Balrog and the fall of Gandalf, he's like, if I had known this, I would have forbidden you to, to be able to even get in here, you know, and and Galadriel is the one to come to Gimli's defense and says, if we had been in their shoes, you know, if Lothlorien had become an abode of dragons, could you pass by without entering, you know, and, and she and she she talks to Gimli about the glory of Khazad-dûm as it used to be. And that, again, that's something from outside the text of the Lord of the Rings itself, that Galadriel had visited Khazad-dûm in the Second Age and knew its people, you know, and she's able to connect with Gimli on that way. And and it says in, in the text that Tolkien looked into her eyes and instead of seeing the eyes of an enemy, saw their love and understanding. Gimli? <laughs> Or you said Tolkien? <laughs> no, I said it. it uh, oh, okay. Tolkien wrote that Gimli oh, looked okay. in the eyes of Galadriel and saw love and understanding in the eyes of someone he would have normally thought of as an enemy. Mm. Yeah, and it's and it's possible. You know, we'll see some. We could see Galadriel go to Khazadum in the Rings of Power because you know we we don't have to jump there yet. But if, 
we know Elrond is, uh, you know, friends with with Durin uh, in Khazad-dûm. So we could potentially see, you know, Galadriel go there at some point in the Second Age uh, when the show is taking place. Yeah, let, let, let's actually talk about the Rings of Power, because I like what they did with Elrond and Durin the Fourth. That's probably one of my favorite aspects of this first season was their friendship. I just thought it was great. It was so heartwarming. Mm. I loved every scene that they're both in together. And again, they're almost like they have this brotherly relationship. I love the thing where they're bickering about the um, the time they first met. And neither of them can get the story straight. And it's. Yeah, because when this when the show starts, they were they were estranged or at least at least, you know, from Doran, he was, he felt estranged from, from Elrond because Elrond was an elf and lives, you know, time kind of passes differently for, for them. So he probably was like, Oh, it's been, you know, it's been a couple, couple weeks since I've been to see Durin, but it really, it's been, you know, been a decade or however long, um, just because they're, they kind of experience time differently. So for Elrond, it was like, I'm just going to go pop back and visit my old friend because they were trying to get the dwarves to help build the, the forge that um, uh, uh, Celebrimbor wanted. And so he goes and Durin's, Durin's just mad at him at, from the from the jump that it's like in and, and the dwarves are kind of all all kind of cold to Gimli uh, or to to Elrond at first. Uh, and then he does the whole like rock breaking competition that he Elrond loses on purpose so that <laughs> to kind of get get Durin. I think he says like my purpose was not to win, but to bend your ear or whatever he says. Um, <laughs> and then if, and then even beyond Durin was like Disa was just, it was just great. Like she was one of the best for me, like the breakout, like, you know, not, not starring roles, but like best supporting characters. Cause she's just like, you know, <laughs> Durin's trying to kick Elrond out and Disa's <laughs> like, no, he's like, he, he's, he's staying for, you know, for dinner or something, you know, and she's just like telling Durin what's what. <laughs> yeah. She, <laughs> she must, he's staying. She's like, yeah, it's great. Because she probably has heard Durin, you know, complain about Elrond for he's like my best friend, missed my wedding, missed my birth of my sons, missed whatever, and hasn't been here. So she's she's probably knows she knows Elrond by like she's like your you know your old college friend that your your you know your your girlfriend or wife hasn't met and you and finally meets and he's like you've heard all you've heard all about them, but um, but yeah. So she's yeah their yeah their whole storyline and relationship was great, and I'm that's I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how that develops. And like, if we kind of get more dwarves kind of joining, cause it, you know, it looks like we're going to kind of be leading toward a big, um, you know, big, big alliance to, um, you know, possibly one might say a last alliance, uh, to yeah. by the end of the show. So what did you think, Mike, of how, uh, the dwarves and elves and the rings of power are depicted? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like, I, I don't know. It's definitely that sort of, heartwarming and and very much humanizing when you have the like the huge storylines especially that Galadriel that we kind of follow her through season one and then you get to you get kind of those quiet I mean maybe not as quiet moments as you do with the um are they Harflings or half or the Harfoots yeah Harfoots thank you um you know there it's not necessarily as cute as those because you get kind of the big majestic scenes like when they're in cause of doom and all that but um yeah you get kind of your 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 buddy comedy um fix in in that one right and 
it's and they definitely play off of the you know I, I, the Middle Earth odd couple right with the dwarf and elf um, you know side by side and it's like oh one's very Abbott one's very Costello you know when they're when they're together and stuff and um, but uh, no I mean it's a, it's it's supposed to kind of remind you of those quiet moments between Gimli and Legolas you know and then you because you don't really have any fight scenes right so the most exciting thing they can get is like you said Jeff the rock breaking competition um, but they have to kind of like recapture that magic a little bit and uh so yeah no i mean you get to see you know some kind of more dramatic moments when they're doing the um i get what'd you call it like uh well the mining for the for the mithril yeah and, the singing you know, of the the what do they call it the rock singing or the plea yeah, to the whatever, rocks yeah yeah whatever they yeah whatever they call it which which there again i think you know that's that's kind of a cool um almost like synthesis of what is usually identified in, in the elven culture with the singing, but here it's specifically for this purpose, but it also shows that maybe they're not so different ultimately. Right. I mean, and that's, that's, and I like I and I've a lot of people talked about how that was a, a really powerful moment in, in the season as a whole was the, yeah, I, I call it rock singing, but maybe there's the you know better word for it, but. Yeah. And it all kind of ties back to, in in middle earth the well the origins of arda is through mm. song so you have that kind mm. of you know each race almost has its own relationship with music and song and language you know tolkien being a lover of language and poetry in that way i mean you, maybe you don't see it as prominently with men except maybe in the books with the rohirrim where tolkien mentions there there are several Rohirrim songs in the books and he mentions how their singing has a distinct sound that is not really it's a book you can't really communicate it that well but he, he gives the impression that from other characters describing it that it's a very distinctive sound so I like that each race kind of has its own relationship with like essentially the origins of of arda itself mm. um what what do you where do you think we're going any speculations in terms of where we'll see the elf dwarf relationship go in the rings of power because the elves especially gilgalad and celebrimbor kind of pulled this deception on the dwarves but also the dwarves kind of knew they were being deceived that it was really all about mithril you know they send elrond to Casa Doom to procure the Mithril. And yeah, I, I just wonder where we're now that that is kind of they've got the Mithril for the three elven rings. I wonder where we're going because I've heard rumors that next season will focus on the dwarven rings of power. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's it, I hadn't really like in terms of where are they going to explore? Obviously they're going to, they're going to have to explore and give a lot more screen time to, um, Disa, Elrond and Doran, but Durin is, but especially Disa because she was very much a scene stealer, uh, in season one. And yeah. so I think any sort of way that they're going to, you know, accommodate that. Um, and then, like you said, it, you know, take us further and further. Are they going to wait until the season finale for like the uh, Balrog to actually show up? I would guess no. I would guess that it would maybe be like a, you know, like a mid-season finale or some, because 
you know, I, I, that's just, I feel like it'd be kind of a big thing that you'd want to um, bring up later on. And maybe they can recreate the, you know, I never thought I'd die fighting a Balrog side by side with an elf. And then the other one, and then Elrond can say, why did you think you'd, you know, die fighting a Balrog side by side with a friend? And they can, you know, wink at each other or wink at the camera. That's what I'm also <laughs> hoping for, um, too. But yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know when we'll see. I feel like that even though it doesn't, the timeline doesn't match up. Like I said, this is the, this is a different, a different universe. Uh, it's, it's the Jackson verse of, <laughs> of the, uh, of middle earth or of Arda, but yeah, I'm, I don't know that the timeline matches up to see where or you know, or I rather the, it doesn't match canonically. So we'll, I'm curious to see where there, if we will see, uh, you know, it's Chekhov's Balrog. So I feel like we have to see it, you know, do some damage and, mm. um, you know, that, that could be a, a cool, but, you know, devastating battle to eventually see that in, um, or, or, you know, see, see when they, uh, when they, when they wake the Balrog, um, yeah. Sorry, I, sorry, Jeff. They got to recreate the Jurassic Park scene where there's the cup, you know, and, oh, yeah. and, and, and but it's the, it's the bell rug, right? Like that, you gotta, you know, you gotta do some sort of callback to the, yeah. Do, do. yeah. Well, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park is my favorite movie. So I would be down for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm curious too. So, and at least for like thinking about in speculation for the series, I, and again, I, I, I'm not as up on the books, but in the, in the last battle, in uh that they talk about in lord of the rings where it was the last alliance of elves and men are the dwarves involved in that or are they not really involved that are it's it's really interesting because tolkien implies that there were dwarves on both sides of that battle Mm, that the the dwarves of casa doom sided with elves and men but that there were some wicked dwarves who fought for sauron Hmm. And that's some dark and it's dwarves. Just a, that's... Yeah, it's just a throwaway mention, but we don't get any details on that. Okay, yeah, that could be really interesting to see if there's because I feel you know I feel like we're I mean we could lose some of our main cast. I feel like you have to do that at some point to kind of keep the drama of uh, going. At least probably won't be, you know won't be Elrond, um, but you know. It, I was almost just thinking like, what if Disa gets killed in like the whole, in the, when they fight the Balrog, like sure. Even mm-hmm. if she's not in the battle, she's like helping, you know, trying to sing people to safety or something or like people get trapped again. And she kind of gives her life for that. Like, what would that do to, what will that do to Durin? Cause, cause Durin and his father are already like estranged at this point. Like he basically didn't Durin's dad just kind of disown him pretty much in in the season. So like there's that whole thing too, um, and yeah, Disa no, is really pushing him to like because she mentions that Durin has a brother, and so I guess he's going to be the new heir now. Mm-hmm. But she's like pushing Durin, don't settle for that. Don't let them take their birth your birthright from you. So I think we're definitely going to see some maybe dwarvish kind of a, politics, a Hamlet, yeah, Hamlet uh, situation sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that could be really, I mean, I'm just excited for more dwarves because we, in Lord of the Rings, we barely, like, we we got the couple dwarves that you see at the Council of Elrond, and then you, and then Gimli, of course, um, and then in The Hobbit, you get, you get the comp- Thorns company, and you get flashbacks to kind of when they, when you, sh- or, you know, I'm talking about the films at this point, but you get the flashbacks to seeing kind of the battle, uh, you know, the battle of, um, or when Smaug attacked, and and I guess you get like the like the Dane Ironfoot 
you know, CGI dwarves. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping, you know, uh, so I'm excited to see like what it looks like, you know, when we have kind of a, yeah, getting into the dwarvish culture and dwarvish politics and, and battle and stuff. Cause it'd be really cool to kind of see them fighting like within inside the caves, like as a big army. Cause in, in the Hobbit, you only see it. It's like a big battle out on an open field. So yeah, I'm, I'm just, I think that was one thing I said when we first were, when I first came onto the podcast was I wanted to see dwarves, uh, you know, dwarf action in the rings of power. And we got some, so I'm hoping to see, I'm hoping we get, get a good bit more. So was there anything else um, about elves and dwarves and their storied relationship that you, you think we should cover before we wrap up? It's going to bug me if I don't correct myself. I said dwarf Hamlet. I should have said dwarf Macbeth. That was my. Oh, <laughs> it was okay. bugging me. So it was bugging me right after I said it. And I was like, ah, anyway. Well, there, the, there could uh, be a little bit of Hamlet, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, with, I was thinking of the, you know, being pushed, the ambition, the, you know, all being that stuff, like but, Lady Macbeth. Yeah. Well, yeah I don't know if Diesel I, will go that dark, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I know we, we've we've talked about I'd it and joked that. about I'd it. I've watched that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've 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 talked about it and joked about it here on another episodes, but of course the uh, we have I feel like we have to talk about the dwarf elf romance from the Hobbit films. If we're <laughs> do we though? <laughs> we talk about it. Well, I think yeah, I thought, it's, yeah. it's it's, I it's pretty we all agreed that it. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I think we all agree that it's like that. What was the point of that? And um, it was a real will they or won't they? You know, I don't call things a Ross and Rachel anymore. I call them a oh, what was the name of it? Killy and Toriel and uh, yeah, Toriel and Killy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not Ross and Rachel or Jim and Pam. It's Toriel and Killy <laughs> romance is what it is. Well, yeah, and and I think something that like our listeners who may not be as familiar, and I've I've learned this from like other podcasts and other sources that kind of elves and the that the reason elves and men Tolkien kind of eventually has them come together in you know in Baron and Luthien and then eventually kind of come back together in Aragorn and Arwen is they were both of a of the same kind they were both as we've said like they're both the children of Iluvatar and kind of you, you can kind of see the grand plan of Iluvatar was for men to take over uh, as the you know the rulers of Ardo because the elves are only there for they're kind of they they're they're kind of they're they're almost like angelic in a way. It's like they go there to do an accomplish a task and then they eventually return home. Um, whereas the men are there to you know they're kind of there to stay and, and rule artists. So there's but they're of a kind at least like they're whereas the elves and the dwarves are are completely not of a kind and they can they can have friendships and and relationship you know platonic relationships but a romance just. Tolkien wouldn't it, it just doesn't make sense in Tolkien's world for those those two you know races to and, and not just and you know I know there's been criticism of Tolkien and, and race uh, which won't get into here but it's not that it's it's not saying you know it's and we're not saying that it's, it's like they're different species <laughs> and just they're any kind of romance just doesn't doesn't make sense because they're not you know they're of a different species and a, a so they have completely different origins too so like metaphysically so Mm, i think that in in a way kind of impedes that kind of those relationships from even kind of forming you know i don't know that that attraction would even be there yeah but they had to had to hype give some kind of a um you know i don't i don't i don't really know the reasoning for it because it doesn't i feel like it doesn't really add anything like you can have it you could have had a toriel 
and Killy just be, they could, you know, kind of become friends. Like, you know, they could have become like a Gimli and, um, and Legolas relationship or, and, and Legolas was in, was even there too, but you could have, you know, you could have had that friendship and it didn't have to be romantic. And it really wasn't yeah. like, like there was no, it was just more, you know, there, it was just romance, like a, a courtship or not really a romance. And then it, the Entori was like, I'll never love again. This dwarf that I talked to twice. And, <laughs> and <laughs> I'll so. never love again. Doesn't she say something like that? She like, does. Yeah. yeah. Like I almost expected her to say like, tis better to have loved and lost to have never loved at all. Or, I can't even remember where that comes from, but it's like a famous line. And I almost expected her to say it. It was. Just... Yeah, it was, it was, it was silly. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, I'll, I'll watch the Hobbit movies occasionally, not as much as I do the Lord of the Rings. Um, but yeah, the, the, that plot line is one I don't really need that. I just like, and it's it's so brief anyway so it's not it's funny because it, it's created so much controversy but it's such a brief like i'd be curious to see the actual minutes of screen time you see because they meet in lake town and then she heals him um she, she finds the um is it the is it the is it the king's ward or the or or king's weed or something that the same thing that uh arwen uses to heal frodo is it that same thing Oh, is it? I don't even. I, it's been so long since I watched Desolation of Smaug. <laughs> well, I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. And yeah, it's that scene. It's basically that scene, and then the scene at and the and well, I guess they met in uh, the dungeons of Mirkwood. And oh then, yeah, yeah. Where they, they, they meet, snuck that crass joke in, and that really annoyed me. Yeah, and then <laughs> then the scene in Lake Town, and then the scene at the very end where where when Killy dies, and Toriel says, "I'll never love again." And she goes and becomes besties with Legoloth to find Aragorn. <laughs> yeah, like what? <laughs> anyway, n- d- don't worry, folks. We we will talk about the Hobbit movies eventually because <laughs> I, I I actually want to rewatch them and talk about them yeah, for the show. Yeah, because- yeah, and and like I said, I I do enjoy those movies for the most part. I mean, maybe not as much the last one, but at least the first one. Um. I think is is might might be the best desolation of Smaugr is just you know more of a long action scene but yeah aside from that you know our everyone's favorite dwarf elf uh romance uh I think I don't don't think I have anything else oh we should yeah. mention one more thing and that is that Legolas or Galadriel it's never really confirmed which one got passage for Gimli to go oh, yeah. to to the undying lands to well, I think it says it's a grace that Galadriel may have a they they kind of leave it open as to did Gimli actually go or like did he get passage but it's kind of they kind of says she may have obtained by the grace of or maybe of by her favor a grace she obtained for him or something like you know that's yeah much more poetically written um but yeah I know that yeah just and then there and we yeah we didn't touch on their friendship after the Lord of the Rings where Gimli goes to like Gimli goes with him to the with Legolas to the forest, and Legolas goes with Gimli into the caves. Well, and I think the you know if again if we want to see the sort of like significance of that is like we like we talked about they have this like different but it's almost like there was this you know little brother mentality for the dwarves, but Gimli spends so much time with the elves that it's almost like he's transfigured and he becomes elf like enough. Where, like you said, it it makes sense that he would be given this passage. Now, yeah, it still has the grace of Galadriel seems more fitting. But, you know, if you want to see Legolas as that kind of um, 
that that charity that that fraternal charity uh that could certainly be something that would you know in a sense merit that or grant that he yeah, he's so I, the I, older brother who gets you on the ride at the theme park <laughs> <laughs> so I, I pulled up the i pulled up the quote and i think it's i think it's really a good quote worth reading about the um yeah you know, what i what we were trying to say is it says, we have heard tell that Legolas took Gimli, Gloin's son, with him because of their great friendship, greater than any that has been between elf and dwarf. If this is true, then it is strange indeed that a dwarf would be willing to leave Middle-earth for any love, or that the Eldar should receive him, or that the lords of the West should permit it. But it is said that Gimli went also out of desire to see again the beauty of Galadriel, and it may be that she, being mighty among the Eldar, obtained this grace for him. and then. Just simply, and more cannot be said of this matter. <laughs> he kind of just leaves like that's all. That's all twas, I'm going to say about it. And he can, you know, leave twas beauty yeah. that yeah, twas beauty that conquered the beast. I think that's actually a beautiful note to leave the kind of because that's that that's one of the last things we know about the fourth age is that and when when both of their kinds are kind of fading from Middle Earth, you know that Gimli and Legolas sail off together to the undying lands and kind of, I think that's the perfect way for Tolkien to kind of, you know, he's been telling this story of their relationship across all these different tales. And I, I I think that that was, that's just a beautiful way for him to end that. And it's one of the last notes in that section of the appendices. I think, like you said, Jeff, it ends with just like more cannot be said of this matter. And it's yeah, like it's, the, it's from the appendix A Annals of the Kings and Rulers during mm. Sulk. And the real rings of power were the friends they made along the way. That's the, uh, <laughs> I think that's the real lesson of the whole the whole, you know, story of Middle Earth. But um bunch. Yeah. But uh yeah, and we, we could go on talking about these characters forever and ever, but we we'd like to to ask you, our patrons to well support us on patreon first of all and we'd like to thank you for all of your awesome support and we'd like to thank specifically on this episode our patrons david m michael v angelica g kirsten r and bob r their generous donations help us to continue to create the secrets of middle earth and all of the great shows here at starquest and you can join them at sqpn.com slash give and we'd also like to hear from any of our listeners. Uh, what do you think about the relationship between elves and dwarves? And also, as we look forward to recording more Secrets of Middle-Earth episodes in 2024, we'd like to ask you, our listeners, what topics do you want to hear us discuss? Send your ideas uh, to us either on our Facebook page or on Twitter, or you can send us an email at middleearth at sqpn.com. You can leave a comment on YouTube or you can visit our great Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. So join us next time where we'll be wrapping up 2023 with a discussion of the Council of Elrond. Until then, Jeff Hecker, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Middle-earth. Thank you, Thomas. And Mike Schramm, thank you as well. Thanks, Thomas. And until next time, I'm Thomas Salerno. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth right here on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Freystation Portable.
Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at starquest.fm slash PSP.